Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. Good afternoon to you and a very warm welcome to the Thursday afternoon fresh thinking slot. That's what it is. It's a reminder, I suppose, that the week is drawing to an end. It's also a reminder that there's more to life than what meets the eye. That's what we try and do over here in this hour. Talk about things from a Jewish perspective, but a little bit outside of the box. And as always, your insight comments are always welcome. So here are the core numbers. This is the important stuff. This is what you need to know. To send an SMS, you're going to use 34519. If you'd like to WhatsApp, and WhatsApps are great, you can WhatsApp 0618951019. You can always call the studio on 0101403020. And the all-time favorite for this show is via social media. So you can tweet at FM. You can always tweet me directly if you'd like to keep it uh, off the system for whatever reason, at Rabbi Shish. So what are we going to talk about today? I'll be honest, I was thinking about one thing, and then due to a conversation that I had last night, I thought perhaps we should talk about something else, which I see, um, I put out a little bit of bait earlier on, and I see that it's definitely a more intriguing subject for many people than I had originally anticipated. I actually thought that maybe this is one of those things that people just fob off. So last night after a shiur that we have, which uh, at the moment we're talking about souls and soul journeys and the levels of the soul, which of course always catches people's attention, the subject in conversation afterwards came up about Ayin Hora. Now, for those people who don't know, Ayin Hora is translated as the evil eye. I think the minute you say that, that already sounds more frightening than anything else, the evil eye. So I thought it'd be worth talking about. I'd love to hear what people think. My initial question is simple. Do you believe in Ayin Hora or not? So we'll start with that, and then we can unpack it and examine a little bit of what exactly would that mean. In other words, what is an evil eye? How does one attract an evil eye? Or if a person feels that they are the subject or the victim of somebody's eye in horror, of somebody's evil eye, so what do you do about it? But I think before you can get into any of that conversation, just a simple question. Do you, you personally, do you believe that the eye in horror, the evil eye, is a, is a thing? You look around, you know that there are many people who have red threads around their wrists, people who have chamsas, which is that heart-shaped ornament, either hanging in their house or perhaps wearing it as a form of an amulet. People perhaps wear other kinds of amulets, that blue eye that you often find in Israeli jewelry, the eye that is supposed to ward off the evil eye or the fish symbol which is commonly used as well. So maybe you have that stuff at home. Maybe you are very conscious of the Ayin Hora and how to avoid it. Maybe you're one of those people who always says something like, Bli Ayin Hora, let this not attract the evil eye. Or perhaps you think it's a whole lot of nonsense. Folklore, uh, Bobamices, superstition from the shtetl and something we should not concern ourselves with any longer. I'd just be interested to hear what it is that people think about the concept of Ayin Hora, just whether it's relevant or not. And then we can talk a little bit more about what does it mean? What are the sources within Judaism? What are the attitudes that a person is supposed to adopt? So, oh, one, oh, sorry, that's the studio number. Let's just do text for now. Oh, six, one, eight, nine, five, one, oh, one, nine. If you'd like to WhatsApp or three, four, five, one, nine. If you'd like to send an SMS, Ayin Hora, yes or no? Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 
101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. So I wonder how quickly people will become, excuse me, will become philosophical about this question. I'm asking a simple question at this point. And we can go philosophical, absolutely, and uh, certainly intend to. But the question straight up is, the eye in horror, the evil eye, do you believe that it's a thing? Or do you think it's just old wives' tale? So let's have a look. Um, obviously, I should have anticipated that this was going to happen, that I'd get some one-word answers. And fair enough, or two-word answers in some cases. Here's one person saying, I do. Here's somebody saying, no. <laughs> okay, that's fair. I suppose when you invite a question that is binary, yes or no, you've got to expect that people will answer in a binary fashion. Let's try and... Uh, Flesh that out a little bit Let's try and fatten it up Talk about it in greater detail This yes or no So uh, that's only two opinions so far I suppose not so surprising One is a yes and one is a no But let's just talk about this a little bit further What is it? What is Ayan Hori? If somebody had to ask you I've heard that the Jews have this concept Called the evil eye What is it? Is it some kind of an energy? Is it some kind of voodoo? Is it a spell that somebody puts on you? How do you? How does a person? Let's let's assume that you actually do believe in Ein Horror, because right now the the vote is split exactly fifty fifty down the middle. One person saying I do, one person saying no. So let's assume that you do believe in Ein Horror. How would you know if you had been affected by it? How would you know if you are the victim of Ein Horror? What what happens? What are the symptoms? Do you get this fuzzy feeling? Do you get this blockage that your mind doesn't work properly? Or, or what? what? What exactly is an iron horror? So I, I'd love to hear because I'm sure that the perspectives on that are going to be quite diverse. Now, just to throw into the mix, there is, there's more than one place actually in Talmudic literature that addresses this concept of iron horror. For example, at this time of the year, it's customary in various communities that we study Pirkei Avot, Pirkei Avot, the ethics of the fathers. So just about every Jewish community studies it chapter by chapter over six weeks between Pesach and Shavuos. And then many other communities continue to repeat the study all the way until Rosh Hashanah. Now, one of the comments that you will find in Pirkei Avot, in the ethics of the fathers, is that iron horror again, directly translated as the evil eye, is one of those things that drives a person from this world. Okay? So if you want to put it into context, it's iron horror, an evil eye, yetzer horror, the evil inclination, and sinas abrios, which is basically to hate people. Those are the things that drive someone from this world. So that implies that it's part of our conversation. It's part of our belief system. It's part of our study that there is something called iron horror and that it has negative results. It doesn't give us a whole lot of insight or information as to what that is, right? Do you know what it is now? Do you understand what an iron horror is supposed to be just because it says it's something negative? Well, I highly doubt that anybody thought it was positive. You either think it's nonsense or you think it's dreaded. But I don't think anybody thinks positively of it. So that's a reference that just tells us it's part of the conversation. It does not tell us anything about what that means. So let's explore a little bit further. There are certain practices, in fact, in the Jewish world, some practices that we still keep until today, that are there to avoid attracting iron horror. So let's talk about that for a moment. Are you familiar, perhaps, with any practice 
that we do in the Jewish world today that is to avoid or to protect yourself from Ayn Hora. Anything, anything at all that you can think of, things that we say or that we do or things that we never say or never do in order to avoid an Ayn Hora. I'll share one with you because I highly doubt that anyone's going to pick this one up. But the Talmud says that when it's the harvest time, when people are collecting wheat and they're going to store it away, obviously, in their granaries. So there's always the concern. I suppose the, the same principle would apply even before the harvest time. But there's always the concern that you're going to put the grain away and it shouldn't go moldy. It shouldn't be invaded by insects. So the Gemara says, the Talmud says, that you should not, any individual, should not gaze at the field of his neighbor because that might cause an iron horror. In other words, you see him stockpiling all this food and you think, wow, he's really done well this harvest. That might attract some kind of negative attention. So I highly doubt that anybody was aware of that one. That's why I've thrown it out first. I want to give you the opportunity in case you're aware of something that people do or say to prevent or protect from iron horror. And again, floating behind all of this is still my question. Do you think it is a Thing, Do you think it's something that we should pay attention to? Now, somebody's made a comment over here that is, uh, being a Sephardi, we have a different view of Ayn Hara. And I'm specifically pronouncing it that way because that is how Sephardi Jews would, would pronounce it. I wonder if that's accurate. Do we think maybe you're listening and you're Ashkenazi and you don't agree with that statement, that Sephardim have a different view of Ayn Hara? And if you are Sephardi, what would that different view be? In other words, is it something which is more uh, central or more serious in the Sephardi world than it is in the Ashkenazi world? Or to the contrary, is it something maybe that the Ashkenazi world takes more seriously than the Sephardi world? That would be an interesting little aside to this conversation. So you've got three things on the boil right now. I'd like to know if you think Ayn Hora is something to be concerned about or not. I'd like to know if you are aware of any practice Either something that we do, something that we say, possibly something that we think in order to protect ourselves from Ayn Hora. And is there a significant difference to your attitude to the subject if you are an Ashkenazi, pretty much European Jew, or a Sephardi, pretty much North African or Middle Eastern Jew? Does that make any difference to the conversation? I'd be curious to hear. Somebody's made the contention that Sephardim have a different perspective. I am sure. But what is that different perspective? Is it something which is that it's more of an issue or less of an issue? Uh, here's another one, seeing as uh, nobody's taken the bait on this. So here's another one, a practice that you may or may not be aware of that has to do with Ayn Hara. And it plays out quite frequently when there's a family, Simcha, let's say, a bar mitzvah. So there's a bar mitzvah, there's the child who is having his bar mitzvah, and then there's his father hopefully two grandfathers, some uncles, perhaps siblings, and we have a limit as to how many people we can call to the Torah on a Shabbos. It's a great honor to be called to the Torah. So you've got to work out exactly who will be called up, and then we're very careful not to call to the Torah consecutively either a father and son or two siblings. So you'll notice that if you pay attention, you'll notice that at the Torah, we avoid calling a father and son one after the other or two brothers one after the other. And the reason given for that is not to attract iron horror to that family. 
Now, what exactly does that mean? I don't know. Maybe you have an insight. Maybe we can work this out together. But that's what it says. So there's a practice that we still practice today. The one about the fields might not be as relevant because most of us are not living an agricultural life. And most of us have never really spent much time on a farm, let alone grown our own produce. But this idea of being called up to the Torah where you don't call the father and son one after the other or you don't call two brothers one after the other, that could affect you. Your family could be something that's relevant in your shul this week. And why do we do it? Because we want to avoid Ayn Hora. So there you go, another insight into the fact that Ayn Hora seems to be a thing. Seems that it's something that the Judaism takes seriously enough to enact certain practices to avoid it. What do you think about that? And what do you think we do as Jews, besides what I've mentioned, to try and protect ourselves from Ayn Hora? Your thoughts on 34519 by SMS or on WhatsApp 0618951019. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. So as to be expected, there are, of course, not only different views on the subject, but some philosophical insights starting to emerge at this point. So this is, this is not fair. This is not fair. This is on Twitter. And, uh, this is, my question was, do you believe in Ayn Hora or not? And this person says, yes. And what about you? <laughs> Don't draw me into this at this point. I'm playing the game still, trying to see what it is that people think. And then based on that, we can, uh, you know, we can develop our insights into it. SMS over here that says, what about wearing a red string like they hand out at the Kotel? So there you go. My question was, what are things that people do to avoid an Ayn Hara? And I was waiting for somebody to bring this up, the concept of a red string. Now, the truth is that the red string has two possible expressions. In other words, there is the red string, as this SMS points out, that they give out at the Kotel, which is supposed to come from Kaver Rochel, from Rachel's tomb in Bethlehem, where they the, the story goes that they actually wind the red strings around her grave, saying certain prayers or Tehillim, and then they cut it into pieces and make them available at a price for people to wear. And there is a very strong tradition that that wards off Ayn Hora. Now, I, I don't know, actually, personally, I don't know where that tradition originates, and I'd love if somebody could share with us what the origin of that is. I just want to distinguish between that and another kind of red string, which has been popularized by the Kabbalah Center, which, frankly, as far as I'm concerned, is just a money-making gimmick. It's got no association with any major iconic place or person in Jewish history. But seeing as red strings have become popular, by the way, not only in the Jewish tradition, there are other cultures that also have red strings to ward off the evil eye. So it's a great money-making thing. Got to be careful with that one. The SMS continues also putting up a shira malot where a baby sleeps. Now, I don't know if people are familiar with this particular custom. It's a very beautiful custom. It's something which if you know somebody who's expecting a baby, you should actually encourage them to do. So shira malot is one of the chapters of Tehillim. It's usually on a, on a laminated card, and it also includes various Kabbalistic incantations that have been printed on the same card. The idea over there, though, is not necessarily to prevent Ayn Hora as much as it is to provide added protection 
to a baby, particularly a newborn baby. And so people will put it in the cot or in the pram where the baby sleeps, and they'll put one also over the doorpost um, leading into the baby's room, sometimes on the front door of the house as well. That's more of a concept of additional protection, bringing some kind of spiritual protection to that baby in those young and vulnerable days of its life. So I don't think that that's necessarily related to Ein Hora, whereas the red string is. So that that was great. I don't know what people are sometimes embarrassed to put their names on SMSs. It's okay. <laughs> we we won't overexpose you if you don't want us to. Here's another SMS that's also unsigned that says there are people who don't say how many children they have. I, I hadn't actually thought of that one, and it's quite prevalent when you think about it in the in the observant community. It's actually quite prevalent for people to avoid saying how many children they have, so as not to attract eye and horror. So isn't that interesting? Once you start to explore it, you. Start start to see that there are quite a number of things that affect and impact people in our communities right now in the modern age, um, both Ashkenazi and Sephardi, that are associated with this concept of Ayin Hora or the avoidance of Ayin Hora. So keep them coming if you can think of any others. There's quite an obvious, obvious one that I haven't yet heard anybody Mention so I'll give you a bit more time to see if you can come up with that one. Meanwhile, as I said, there's a little bit more um, philosophy coming up at this point. So a little bit of a longer message from Debbie, but says that we do believe that people can wish us bad, and therefore we do not expose private or critical information, especially when we're waiting for confirmation, like a business deal, something medical. Or something personal. We don't talk about it so as not to draw negativity from other people. So it's really important that we, I think this was quite a valuable comment over here from Debbie, because the point is that there is a difference between something that has already happened versus something that is still to happen. We're a lot more cautious not to attract undue attention to something that has not yet happened. In fact, it's a theme throughout Jewish literature that as long as something is pending, so the, the, the Talmud uses this expression. Let's say, going back to the agricultural idea, let's say you're going to check what the volume of your grain, your grain is in your storehouse. So the Talmud says you can, you can actually say a prayer before you go in there. Please, God, let me find everything in a blessed fashion, which basically means that nothing's rotted and nothing's been invaded by weevils or rodents or whatever the case is. But the Talmud says if you already open the storehouse and now you can see the grain and you make such a prayer, that is tfilas shav. That is a meaningless prayer. It's of no impact because you already see what the reality is. It talks a little bit to the concept of uh, you know, collapsing a reality as, uh, as we talk in quantum mechanics. But basically the idea is that if something is still pending, things could happen. So that's one of the reasons that people will avoid sharing something publicly if it's still pending because they don't want to attract undue attention in case some of that attention might be negative. Okay, so there we go. What else? What else do people do to avoid Ayn Hora? There's at least two other things. One that was hinted at in this SMS that we've just had about people not saying how many children they have. That relates immediately to another practice that the Jewish community follows to avoid Ayn Hora, or perhaps not exactly. And, uh, well, we'll talk about it. And there's something I'm really surprised that nobody has mentioned that is so common that people say, and 
that directly relates to the concept of Ayn Hora. Here we've got on Twitter, so uh, at Coco Pazzo, I think that's how you pronounce it. Never known. Uh, says, yes, I believe that there is bad energy. And if we allow it, then it could cause harm. However, I also believe that there's good energy. And if we work hard to shut out the bad energy, then good energy will prevail. Now, what's really important about that particular statement is if we allow it. I wonder if people agree with that. In other words, do you feel, let's assume that you believe that Einhora is a real thing, that somebody could really send negative vibes look at you in a way because that's what I mean eye horror the negative eye or the evil eye that a person could look at you in a particular way that would then have a negative impact do you feel that that's something which is partly your responsibility in other words you could immunize yourself you could protect yourself or do you feel that you're pretty much at the mercy of that particular person and if they decide that they're giving you those vibes that's it. It's, it's literally like somebody putting the pin in the voodoo doll and there's no way out of it. Interesting because often, often it seems that people just want to be able to point a finger somewhere else and say, there's the source of my problem. It's, it's that thing that happened, that person that did it rather than say, maybe I exposed myself. Maybe I allowed negativity into my life. And that might be the reason why people wear red strings or why people don't uh, uh, you know, let's say it's a simcha and you don't want the father and son to be called up to the Torah one after the other because you don't want to overexpose yourself and you don't want to necessarily attract negative attention. So you're taking responsibility to put some kind of wall up, some kind of protection up to avoid that negativity seeping into your life. It would be interesting to uh, to explore, to hear various perspectives. If you've got a perspective, here's your opportunity to share it. You can even phone 010 Let's try that again. I'll, I'll do it the easy way to remember it. 0101403020. That's the number to call for the studio. Quite a number of tweets coming through, which I will share with you if you'd like to tweet as well. The way to do it is at Chai FM or at Rabbi Shish. Now, while you're mulling that over, think about this. Pick and Pay Hyper Norwood has the following specials, and they're valid until the 3rd of June. They've got fresh milk, assorted two liters for at 21 rand 99 their 200 gram nescafe classic coffee is a 10 rand saving now selling at 59 rand 99 salati white sugar the two and a half kilos going for 28 rand each that's a saving of 14 rand and palmolite ever fresh long life milk assorted six times one liter packs are at 64 rand 99 that's a saving of 15 rand and nescafe gold regular mild espresso velvety or alta rica is at 77 rand for a 200 gram jar. That saves you 29 rand. That actually sounds like fairly decent deals. What do I know about prices? So it's halfway. It's 2.30 if you have just joined us and you don't know what on earth we're talking about today. Well, it's fresh thinking time. You're with Rabbi Shishla and talking today about the eye in horror, the so-called evil eye. Is that something that's a real thing? Or is it something that your grandmother or her grandmother made up? Is it something that belongs back in the shtetl? Or is it something that we still have to do today? So, 
Yeah, let's have a look. Here's another SMS also unsigned that says, Does saying, quote, unquote, Bli Ayan Hara help ward away the Ayan Hara? Well, that's actually what I was waiting for. That's what I was waiting for. I was waiting for somebody to bring that up. So if you are more Hebrew-oriented, then you would say, Bli Ayan Hara. So somebody will say, How old is your child? Six years old. Bli Ayan Hara. Wow, look how well your your brother did at the Sporting event, yes, he's a really good athlete. Bli Ayan Hara. If you're more oriented towards the Yiddish, you'd say Kain Ayan Hara. Now, the way that people pronounce that, uh, you know, very, very often you hear people say Kenahara. Kenahara. That's like a slang version of Kain Ayan Hara. Let there be no evil eye. Uh, it's got nothing to do with dogs. Kain Ayan Hara. Nothing to do with that. But Kain, uh, let there be no Ayan Hara. Okay, so yes, absolutely. People say those things to ward off the Ayn Horror. In other words, to say, I'm about to share information that could attract negative attention, and I'm going to avoid sharing this information in a way to attract that negative attention. How? By giving the disclaimer, let the following be without attracting an Ayn Horror. Okay, so that's the one that I was waiting for. Tell me, did you grow up like that? Did you grow up with people around you saying things like Kainahora or Briainhora? Did you have that in your experience? Then that's exactly what they were referring to. And, and on that note, WhatsApp over here from Daniela says, what about Tututu? <laughs> and she says in brackets, who hasn't been spat on by an aunt? <laughs> that's exactly right, right? When people say, you know, so-and-so is doing so nicely, Tututu. <laughs> I, I, I don't even know where, to be honest, I don't even know where that came from. And I love the sm- spelling, by the way. You can't obviously see the spelling, but it's how you spell it. P-H-T-U. Two. Because that, that implies that, that splitting. <laughs> so, yes, we have this fixation, don't we? We have this fixation on what if something negative happens because something positive is happening. Is that not just a really pessimistic way to look at the world? Somebody's well, behind horror. Let nothing bad happen. Then again, the Talmud does use an expression where it says, Al tiftach pe'el satan. Interesting expression. Al tiftach pe'el satan means don't open your mouth to invite the Satan in. Now, it's a little different to this concept of Ayn Hora, but it's not altogether different. That's the concept of don't say something negative in case you open a channel of negative energy. So maybe that kind of relates to this idea of Ayn Hora. Now, the WhatsApp over here says, I do believe one shouldn't flaunt one's luck or wealth or anything else, but we Jews are not superstitious either. Hmm. So, let's think about that for a moment. We're not superstitious, but we're into iron horror. How do you balance that? Unless, of course, you say, no such thing. It's all nonsense. No such thing. That might be the easy way out, by the way. It's just to say there's no such thing as iron horror. Ashira says, uh, I do the same. Oh, I do the same. Do the same what? Uh, anyhow, says, I'm Ashkenazi, but apparently with plenty of Sephardi colors. Um, okay, so does that imply that the whole concept of Ayn Hora is more of a Sephardi thing? Interesting. Interesting. Not sure if it does necessarily. Here's another one. Jill says, of course we believe in it. We don't talk about bad things we don't want to happen. Well, that's exactly in line with what I just quoted from the Talmud, where it says, don't open your mouth to invite negativity in. 
But that's not necessarily the same as Ayn Hara. Ayn Hara implies that it's somebody looking at you in a negative way. It, it implies something like envy. It implies something like anger, resentment, where the person looks at you in a particular way. And just the way that they've looked at you and your circumstances in itself will generate negative energy, which is quite surprising because the fact that you say something negative and that might have a negative impact, that's not so surprising because we know that the, when you say something, you you cement it, you you make it real, you put it out there in, in the real world. When somebody looks at you, why why would that be so powerful? Interesting to think about, I think. Uh, he has another one saying, definitely. Okay, I've got more one-word answers. Barry says, totally. <laughs> Seems to be a lot of uh, opinion in favor of believing in Ayn Horror. Now, if you had a look also in Pirkei Avot, in the Ethics of the Fathers, it says this, and I think it's really insightful for us to get just a little bit more of an understanding of what it is that we're talking about over here. So we're told that there were two personalities who are considered by our sages to be diametrically opposed, where the one is the epitome of holiness and goodness, and the other is the epitome of malice and vice. Want to take a guess who they are? So the person who's the epitome of kindness is our forefather, Abraham. I mean, he was. He was an incredible person. He looked for the good in all people, including people who the rest of us would have written off quickly. He was a person who is described as having a good eye. What does a good eye mean? Looking for, and by the way, when you do this, you find it, looking for the good in other people. That was the epitome of the first Jew. That's our forefather. That's the person who's supposed to be our ultimate role model. Look for the good in situations. Look for the good in people. Look for the greatness in people if you can. Now, the antithesis of that, our sages tell us, is the evil prophet Bilam. Now, Bilam, Bilam was a person who's described as having ayin hara, a negative eye. Now, what does that mean? I in horror. Go back and read the story. Do you remember the story of Bilam? We actually, if we're going to be reading it in the Torah in a couple of weeks' time, in fact, what's about a month's time, actually. So the story of Bilam is that there was a king called Balak. He was the king of the Moabite nation who was really, really afraid of what the Jews were going to do as they approached Israel. And so he hired Bilam, who was this prophet, and he got Bilam to curse the Jews. Now, what's interesting, a few things, it's a fascinating story, actually. We could spend a lot of time on the story. But one of the things that's interesting about Bilam is that we're told, according to some of the commentaries, that he was blind in one eye. Now, why on earth is that relevant, other than the fact that, of course, it conjures up a, a picture of somebody who looks like the classic evil prophet, patch over his eye, hobbling along, because there's a, an opinion in the Talmud that says that he had a limp. You can just picture, you know, this, this like really horrible, angry old man who just wants to curse everybody. What's interesting about it is we have a tradition, a Hasidic tradition, that says the reason that we were created with two eyes was that we should have one eye to be able to look and see the good in people and the other eye for when it's necessary to see and be critical of the bad in people. Bilam only had one eye. He could only see the, the negative. That's Ayn Hora. The reason he was hired to curse the Jewish nation is because that's how, what he knew. That's, that's what he could do. He could curse people. Ayn Hora means... When you look for the negative, when somebody else is having goodness in their life and you just see the envy of that person or you see 
the failure of that person. We're going to talk about exactly that point. You see the failings of that person. You see the weakness of that person. And we're going to talk about why it is that that's relevant to this concept of Ayin Hara. So... Very, very important piece of information. I'm going to come back to that. Interesting SMS over here. I'd love to hear the source. I've never seen this. Somebody says that a foxtail on a horse is brought in Shulchan Aruch as a way to protect the horse from Ayin Hora. That's from Ilan. I'm very curious about it. I've actually never come across that before. So if you can cite a source in the Shulchan Aruch, that would be great. Love that. Um, let's see. Let's see what we come up with. Meanwhile, in a moment... You'll have your turn as well to share your thoughts on 34519 or by WhatsApp on 0618951019. What do you think about Iron Horror? Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. So it's still with the subject of pick and pay before we come back to Iron Horror. So we're talking about, should I say they have a lot of specials, Bli Iron Horror. How's about that? A lot of opinion coming through over here. A lot more than I expected. WhatsApp from Jenny says, Hashem allows us free choice. If we believe in eye and horror, it will be real for us. Anyone who believes that a little glass eye, a red string, or a yad, otherwise known as a chamsa, will protect them is kidding themselves. I think it's a really insightful comment there because at the end of the day, I did mention earlier that somebody said, I can't remember who it was, it said, if you allow the negative energy, then it will overtake you. There's certainly truth in that. There certainly is truth in that. If we believe it, we give it energy. Absolutely, 100%. Let's go back to Bilam because that might give us another insight into the story. Sorry, just before that, Cynthia says on WhatsApp, what occupies your mind controls your life. Very similar to Jenny. There is negative energy, but how you react to it or get drawn into it is how you can either overcome it or not. Good wisdom from Cynthia. And we had a similar thing over here. Now I've just lost it on Twitter. Who was it? See if we can find that. There we go. And that musician, at that musician, I would just advocate prudence over all else. It didn't make sense when in super extremes of high or low times to say something binding. Okay, I don't know that that isn't actually about this particular conversation. Maybe, may not be. Um, here we go. Philip on Twitter says, yes, people can, as you say, abuse, manipulate and injure others, but not because they're damaged, because they are seeking their own importance. In other words, as if to say, you could be caught up in negative energy because you're taking yourself too seriously. Hmm, that's an interesting one as well. And here's Rene saying, Rene says, the only way I can describe it, sorry, Rene says, firstly, to the extent of slipping, falling, cutting, okay, a whole lot of things, to war, anything negative that happens in one's life, that is Ayn Hora. And it says, the only way I can describe it, it feels like you're wrestling with an evil force. Well, that sounds like firsthand experience. And then to balance it, Leanne says, I do not like to see this having too much sway in Jewish faith. Giving Ayn Hora a lot of independent power is a form of idolatry. Yes. Very, very good point. I'm really glad that you brought that up. That's a really good point. And with that in mind, let's go back for a moment to to um, Bilam, our good friend Bilam. Bilam has this negative eye, this eye in horror, which basically means whatever presents in his world, he sees the curse in it. That's why he's the best person for the job if you want to hire somebody to curse people. Now, what happens in the Bilam story is he arrives 
takes up his position. He's like a spiritual sniper. You know, he's got to get a point uh, on a mountain where he's got a good view of the people he wants to curse. So he takes up his position. He looks down and he sees the Jewish camp and everything goes awry. Instead of cursing them, he blesses them. It's a phenomenal piece of Jewish history where your absolute nemesis becomes the source of some of the greatest blessings and prophecies in the whole of Jewish history. What nachas? So the question is, what happened? What changed? Because if we could work out what went on in that story, knowing that Bilam is the man who is identified as being the one with iron horror, then we'll know pretty much everything that we need to know about iron horror. So, for a start... Those Jews were going about their own business, completely unaware of the fact that Bilam was perched on a mountain, doing his rhetoric, whatever his particular ritual was, bringing sacrifices, trying to invoke God's wrath, and trying to curse the Jews. Well, there's your first point. You see, you cannot give somebody an eye in horror just because you're in a bad mood or you're in a bad place. The idea of an Ein Hora is somebody's had something in their life which is positive. So they've done a business deal and succeeded. They've got nachas from their children. They're celebrating a simcha, whatever it is. Person feels resentful, angry, envious, and therefore they start sending vibes. But they don't just send vibes. They, they think or possibly say something along the lines of, does that person really deserve that? Are they really that much better than I am? How is it that God is so benevolent to them and not to me? And what they do at that moment is they create an environment of analysis where the heavenly court says, oh, you know what? Maybe you've got a point. Maybe that person doesn't deserve the brocha that they've just gotten. Hashem is kind and Hashem wants to share blessing. But maybe, in fact, if we examine this a little bit more closely, that person does not deserve that blessing or to that extent or at this time. Now, I'll tell you what the problem is. Once you've been the one to activate that strict analysis, you've also activated it for yourself. So that means that the person who wants to share iron horror, the person who has it in for somebody else who's succeeded and therefore is trying to draw negative attention to that person, inevitably draws negative attention to themselves. So they gain nothing other than perhaps the sadistic satisfaction of seeing somebody else have a difficult time where things are going so well for them and now you've dumped them with your iron horror, with your, with your vice, but you're not immune because of it. So you're now in the crosshairs. You're now being judged by that same heavenly court that's examining the files of this person that you've put the iron horror on. That's basically what happens to Bilam. Bilam is at the height of his career at that point in time, spewing vitriol against the Jewish people, which doesn't work, by the way. We'll talk about that, why it doesn't work. But it's the end of his career as well. He's the laughingstock of Balak and the Moabite people. He has one more shot at trying to do something with his life, which partially succeeds. And then he gets killed by the same Jews who he wanted to curse. Because when you put negative energy out there, you naturally attract negative energy towards yourself. So that's the first lesson I'll be here about Ein Hora. Don't ever be the person who is the source of Ein Hora, who wants to share that Ein Hora. Not a good place to be. Never going to end well. 
Now let's talk from the perspective of the victim. Another WhatsApp over here says, what about trusting God? If we trust in God, why do we worry about all of these things? Well, it might be just a little bit too simplistic because we trust in God. We still go to doctors. We trust in God and we still work to earn a living. We trust in God and we still make sure that our children are taught the right values. So we trust in God and we still have to do whatever steps we have to do or take in order to prevent negative spiritual vibes. So, but trust in God is how. It's how we do it. And that's a lot of what the story of Bilam is going to tell us. It's going to give us a tremendous insight into how it is that we avoid or how we immunize ourselves against somebody else's negativity. So if you've got a thought on how that might work, I'd love to hear it. And you've got a few minutes to still get your views in, 34519, if you'd like to send an SMS, or 0618951019 via WhatsApp. Otherwise, tweet at Chai FM. Tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. Okay, so we could talk about this for a very long time. I mean, there's a couple of other messages that are fairly similar to what we've already heard before, so I'm not going to dwell on them right now. But you do see that this is a firstly fascinating conversation, I think. I didn't expect we'd have as much interaction as we have had. And at the same time, it's got some very important lessons. So I'd like to focus on two things. Ayn Hora, whether or not you take it seriously, whether you believe it's old wives' tales or you think it's a really viable thing and you have to have your hamsa and your red string and say poo-poo-poo and all those things. So the question is, what do you do about it? And this makes absolutely no difference to whether you care or not for Ayn Hora. It's going to be good advice regardless. Because we're taught in Judaism two things. Both things learned from that story of Bilam trying to send the biggest iron horror ever to the Jewish people. Two things. Number one, you have to know God is in charge. In exactly the same way as no person can physically harm you if God protects you, no person can spiritually harm you if God protects you. In the same way as if you leave your door open, you have a greater chance of an opportunistic burglar coming into your house. In the same way, if you focus your attention on Ayn Hora, on the negativity that might be around you, on the fact that other people might be jealous of you, then you're opening a door and allowing yourself to be exposed to that kind of spiritual negative energy. So what you should rather do is, and this is what we all have to do, work on trusting that God's got our back. That God is good, that God is in charge, and that God wants to look after us. The better we focus on that, so to speak, the safer we are. The second thing is, on one of the occasions, because Bilam tried multiple times during those few days to curse the Jews, on one of the occasions he looks down and he says, Matoivu, it's one of the most famous lines in our liturgy, Matoivu oihalecha Yaakov, wow, how beautiful are the Jewish tents. Can you imagine this? This is a person who only had an eye for negative. He only wanted to spread poison. And suddenly he sees positive. How did that happen? See, the nature of negative energy is that it really has no substance or life of its own. The nature of negative energy is that it only thrives in vacuum. But the minute that there is overwhelming positive energy, negative energy has got nowhere to go. It can't express itself. It can't take hold. So here was a group of people who were living over there in the desert, and they had set the camp up just physically. Forget about the people and how they thought. Just the way they set the camp up was to maximize the positive energy in the place. Everybody 
keeps a little bit of modesty. Nobody's flaunting their life. Nobody's peering into somebody else's space. When you create that sense of modesty, of humility, if when you create that sense of appropriate privacy, you're not looking over somebody else's shoulder, stalking them on social media, whatever the case might be, then you create healthy spaces. And in those healthy spaces, you create positive energy where people are feeling good about each other. Because if I know that my private life is out of your sights, then I know that there's a far less likelihood that you'll be jealous of me or angry with me. And so I could feel better about you and you feel better about me. And the minute you start to generate a positive energy, then even the bilams of the world can't get their iron horror going. So more than red strings and more than not calling two people up to the Torah, even though they're valid things to do, stay positive, exude positivity, spread goodness, it's the greatest shield against an iron horror. So that's something you can apply in your life, whether you believe in iron horror or not, and it will certainly benefit you either way. Thank you for all the messages and insights. Really been a great show and much appreciated. Have a wonderful Shabbos and a great week ahead. Until, please God, we pick up our next episode of Fresh Thinking this time next week.